Well, good morning. If you've been here on planet Earth for 40-some years, you're going to remember, well, maybe 45. You'll remember an event that I'm going to at least bring to your mind. And that event was so, so memorable to those of us who were there and maybe experienced it, at least if you were kind of geographically in our area. It was a, a, huge, a huge thing for us to see from a thousand miles away, but for those who were close to it, it was much more significant. In 1980, a man named Harry Randall Truman refused to evacuate his home amidst the volcanic activity preceding the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Truman stated that he believed reports of the danger of a massive eruption were exaggerated. He said, I don't have any idea whether it will blow or not. It may happen or it may not, but I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up and leave. He went on to say, if the mountain goes, I'm going with it. And this area is heavily timbered. Spirit Lake is in between me and the mountain, and the mountain is a mile away. That volcano ain't going to hurt me. I remember in 1980, it was, it was about the time that we put in crops, and, uh, it was, and you would remember that too if you were here, just the thickness of the ash on cars and different things. It was just amazing just to see that and to recognize that that had traveled that far and uh, literally just put its effect throughout the whole area. And uh, as significant as that was, recognizing that, you know, we forget about those things so quickly, like, oh, wow, the power of, of a volcano, just a single volcano. Well, as we look at Second Peter today, we are looking at a passage that is about people who scoff at the idea that God, Jesus, is coming back. And, and you may be sitting in your seat going, how could, how could someone be that way if, they're, if, they were, uh, if they were anywhere kind of in tune with things in the Bible? And that may be true with us as believers, but to some degree, we have to recognize that we too don't live our lives necessarily like he's coming back. Even as a believer, we may understand the idea. We may even say we believe in it. But do we live that way? So as we read 2 Peter 3, uh, we're recognizing that Peter is addressing um, just this issue of the fact that there are scoffers, as Pastor Tri was talking about in chapter 2. There are false teachers. That's who these scoffers are. They're false teachers. They introduce heresies and things that aren't true. And one of the things that they introduced to the people who were suffering and going through so many things was the idea that, that Jesus wasn't really going to come back because, hey, man, we've been here for this many years and he hasn't come back yet. So as we read this first section, recognize that he's writing to that audience. He's writing to his people to encourage them about the truth. Dear friends, this is already the second letter I've written to you in which I'm trying to stir up, for your, up your pure mind by way of reminder I want you to recall both the predictions foretold by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, understand this. In the last days, blatant scoffers will come, being propelled by their own evil urges and saying, where is his promised return? For ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately suppress this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by means of water. Through these things, the world existing at that time was destroyed 
when it was deluged with water, but by the same word, the present heavens and the earth have been reserved for fire by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And one of the perspectives that you see as you read this passage is he's going to go on to talk about because of the fact that the Lord is coming back, you were to live holy lives and to, be, to, be, to live differently than the people around you. But first he's addressing this issue of uh, if you really believe these false teachers, these scoffers, it's going to have a, an impact on your life because you're not going to be living as if Jesus is going to return. And that's going to have a daily impact on your perspective of what your mission is and what you're to be about. And so as we look at this, we recognize that Jesus himself taught that no one knows the hour but the Father. And why is that important? Because when a scoffer says to me or to you, Jesus hasn't come back and it's been 2,000 years, what we really have to know in our minds is this. No one knows the day and the hour, and therefore God has his own timing for this thing. And just because it happened, hasn't happened yet doesn't have a lot of significance to, to us because we know that God is long-suffering. So Matthew 24 says, but, but about that day or hour, no one knows. And the disciples were asking, when's this going to happen? And I, I, I would ask that same question if I was back there, and I was in Jesus' small group, and I was to ask him some questions. One of those things would be, when is the end going to be coming? And Matthew 24 or 25 are definitely end times types of questions that he addresses with his disciples. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, not even Jesus, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man." Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know what day or day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the night of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do, not, you do not expect him. So for an unbeliever, hearing about Jesus coming in the thief, as a thief in the night, it, it gives you the sense in which Jesus is trying to come back. It's like a parent kind of peeking into the room and trying to catch their kids doing something wrong and sneak in on them. Ah, I got you. I'm a, I get to reprimand you. And that may be the perspective that an unbeliever would have because they don't know, the, they don't know their Savior they don't know who the Father is. They don't have an understanding what God is about and how he loves us so much. So to, to have this kind of thief in the knife expectation is really a, kind of a, a double-edged sword because some ways, in some ways, yes, it can happen just like a thief, but what we know is it will happen. It's going to happen. You don't know whether you're gonna, your house is going to be broken into or not, but Jesus will come back. And as a believer, we know it's going to happen we just don't know when it's going to happen. 
Again, in Matthew 25, a chapter later, at that time, Jesus is again answering the same kinds of questions about the end. When, when's this going to happen? What's this going to be look like? At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some, of your, buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to, be, to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And what we see is uh, really Jesus urging and explaining things in, in ways that they might understand how this is going to happen and how we as believers are to be prepared, uh, not fearfully, actually expectantly. And uh, one of the topics, and it's amazing how this happens, and I know you, you've experienced this too, how the Holy Spirit seems to tie your week together, where you'll hear a verse on this particular topic, and then someone says something, and then you'll hear, and Caleb, you'll hear the same thing. You're like, man, is God trying to communicate something to me? Because here it is again. And as we were on, on Thursday night, the topic, uh, the, one of the topics, <laughs> Chance, was, uh, we were discussing was patience, God's patience, and, I, and then our lack of patience in comparison to him. And that, that this virtue is, is, is a God virtue. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we realize that that is such a huge thing because if it wasn't for his patience, there's a good chance. Well, let me just ask you this. What if God's patience would have been used up a year before you came to know Jesus? 1985, junior in high school, did not know Jesus. Senior in high school, graduating in May, in May at the time that uh, that you'd be going out and here's the brand new world, did not know Jesus. What if Jesus, what if God's patience would have been used up? It's like, okay, enough of this. I am so sick of you. <laughs> no, not, not that. Okay, enough of this. My people are coming with me. And we're going we're gonna to go into the kingdom. And you recognize that God's patience is actually what we really can trust in, that God, first of all, knows that his will will be done that my brother, my sister, your brother, your sister, someone who you know will come to know Jesus before that year preceding that decision. Realizing that God has his own timing for all of us. And the fact that God's patience is not used up or is, is still there is the fact that his grace is still extended to us and to the people who we care about. So let's look at Second Peter a little bit more, just in, in a in more detailed look. He says, dear friends, this is already the second letter I have written you. Now, why did he say this was the second letter? It's a reminder. It is. He's like, I told you this before. When did he tell them this before? What book did we do before this one? You got it. First Peter, second Peter. And you always wonder to yourself, why did he have to write a second letter? 
And then you realize that the Holy Spirit had a message for him, and then he had another message for him. And as the, in, the attack in First Peter was from outside the church primarily, and then, and then there's also this inward attack, this truth issue within the church was huge because the false teachers that Pastor Ty was talking about, many of them weren't from the outside. They were from what? From the inside. So he had to address that. This, this is the deal. Dear friends. And so he's talking to them as if they're, it's a small group. This is, this is the people I do life with. This is already the second letter I've written you in which I'm trying to stir up your pure mind by way of reminder. So he's just saying, it's good that I remind you. Pastor Trice said that over and over. This is the pastor's green light, he said, uh, that, that we'd be able to remind you, that we would be reminded ourselves. I want you to recall both the predictions foretold by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So he says, not only the Old Testament. We went through Isaiah 15 and 16 on Friday mornings this last week, and we got to look at um, the Ammonites and realize just that there's a prediction about so many things in the Old Testament that were, was foretold ahead of time. And when we look back in the fact that it was actually foretold about these Moabites, that, w- that this would happen to them, and that it's already happened, gives us a sense in which if God can be trusted in the words that he has already, that we've come to see come to fruition, he can also be trusted in the words that are yet to be, to be held out there. And if for every prediction of Jesus coming in the first coming as a baby, as this person who would come into the world and would be the, the person who would die as a savior, there are eight, eight prophecies about him coming back the second time. And yet the scoffers are saying he's not coming back. So you have to erase seven out of eight prophecies about Jesus when you say to yourself, I believe the scoffers, because there's more written about his second coming than there is about his first coming. And yet the scoffers are saying, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. This isn't, this isn't true. And so Peter writes to them to stimulate their mind to wholesome thinking, to, to make sure that they understand that this is true and that they can trust these things because their future de- depends on it and their being on mission depends on it as well. Plus, they would get very discouraged recognizing that Jesus isn't going to fulfill what he said he was going to fulfill. Also, by saying that uh, Jesus' words and, and the, the writers of the New Testament, they basically, Peter put them on the same plane saying, you know what, you can, you can trust what the apostles said. You can trust what Jesus said. You can, you can trust what the prophets of old, the Old Testament say. All of these are, are preaching the same thing, that Jesus is coming, he's coming back, and you can trust it. Above all, understand this, in the last days, blatant scoffers will come, being propelled by their own evil urges and saying, where is his promised return? For ever since our ancestors died, all these have continued as they were uh, from the beginning of creation. So here's where we get to his main thrust, which is really these scoffers who have their own motives are basically teaching that, you know what? This isn't going to happen, and it's not only not going to happen, but it's, we've looked at all of history, and we can just see that nothing is, has really happened and yet you look at creation, and, and just, from a, just from an aerial view, you recognize that, that God not only created the heavens and the earth, but there was a point in time in which God pulled the plug. When was that? The flood. And someone who is a scoffer to overlook the fact that God actually reset everything at the time of the flood is just to ignore. It isn't that there, it isn't that there's a, there is a, I forgot this. There is a purposeful 
forgetfulness, which is what I call denial. They deny the fact that God reset the whole thing and that he is interactive in the world and that as, as Noah had that opportunity to be a preserving factor in our, in our uh, understanding of who God is and how he preserved his family to start off and to create a nation that was his and to have a Messiah that could come through the lineage of the Jewish people, God is very, very much in tune with where we are. The fact that he would leave us go without Jesus coming back just doesn't fit with the facts. It doesn't fit with what we see in history. And so Peter points this out. Their history is terrible, is what he's saying. And again, in Matthew 24, it says, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So Jesus, before he left this earth, told them, You know what? You're going to have some false prophets come, and they're going to tell you some things that are not true. You need to be on guard. You can't just be this passive person just saying, Oh, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, writing it down. You need to check it out. You need to be like the Bereans. You need to be discerning in who you listen to. Who's your source of truth? The Spirit clearly says that at later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And so we see Paul also, along with Peter, saying, you know what? The people are going to abandon the faith and they're going to have hypocritical liars, people who are who are completely off their, their theology, who will try to teach you things, but don't listen to them. You have to, you have to stay to the truth. In John 14, as Jesus was addressing his men before his crucifixion, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. They were scared. They're like, man, we're coming into Jerusalem, and those guys tried to kill him last time. They're going to kill him again. And they're sitting around the table getting ready for this, this meal, and Jesus Gives, them a, gives this kind of address of, you know what? It's going to be okay, guys. Here's the plan. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going here to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. What a sense of peace that would give the disciples. You mean you are coming back? You mean that you are going to get us and that you have also, not only that, but as a bridegroom have built this, this addition onto your house and that, that wherever you are that I'm going to be? What a sense of trust they would have in, in, in their Savior at that point in time, Jesus. In fact, 1 Thessalonians, uh, again, a, a, lot of, a lot of real truth comes about future things in Thessalonians. Uh, four, it says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring Jesus, those, Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that he, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so as Paul writes that, he's like, this is how it's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of things that happen. And, and what the end product is, we're going to be with the Lord. The Lord is coming back. He will, re- he will redeem his people. Back to Second Peter. For they deliberately suppressed this fact that by the word, of, the word of God, heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water by means of water. Through these things, the world existing at that time was destroyed 
when it was deluged with water. And as Peter points out the fact that our, that our present earth, as the waters receded and formed this earth and, and land actually appeared, God was involved in that creation. Interestingly, that the water would be involved in creation, but just a few hundred years later when he resets the thing, what does he use to destroy the, 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 uh, the earth? He uses water again. And you just see his control over nature. He has complete control over everything he has made. And so we have this trust, okay, he is going to do whatever he told us that he's going to do. In Genesis 1-9, through it says, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. But it won't end that way. Are we ever going to have another flood? To destroy the world. Okay, we, yeah, we're going to flood, okay. But that destroys the whole, the whole world. And the answer is no. How do we know that? Rainbow. rainbow. And we trust the rainbow because? Okay, it was God's promise, right? And the rainbow is a symbol of his promise. And so we understand that. I mean, if you're not a believer in, in God, you have, you, maybe the rainbow means something totally different to you. But to us, it's a promise, Right? It's a promise of something in the future that is not going to ever happen in the way that it did before. But God gives us a perspective of what will happen. He said, but by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, I thought about this and I thought, fire is so dangerous and it's consuming. And Pete would know this, that fire does a lot of bad things to people. But if you're cold, fire is what? It's good, isn't it? And if you're trying to get rid of some stuff that you don't really want anymore, it's what? It's good. If you look at our earth and our planet, and you look at sickness, and you look at things that are going on, and you recognize what we have to look forward to, what would you do with it? Makes sense, doesn't it? Because the new earth that we get to look forward to it's way, way better than this one. As beautiful as this earth is, it is, as Romans says, it is, in there, it is groaning for what's to come. It knows that it's coming to its end. It's on the downward, downward spiral. And God says, hey, you know what? These elements are going to burn up. This is the way it's going to go. Malachi 4.1, the Old Testament, last book of the Old Testament, 400 years before Jesus comes, it says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set, up, set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. And there is this perspective in which, wow, God is, he is wiping the slate, much like he did when there was a flood. We go on to verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, You've had long days before, right? Has anyone had long days? Joel, have you ever had a long day? You wish the sun would go down? And he's, he's trying to build something and things aren't going right and he's got to destroy it again or whatever, whatever the deal is. You've had those days. You realize that a day is this perspective we have, man, some days are really long. And then sometimes you look back, you go, man, it's been 23 years since we had a kid, really? That's 23 years. And, and so time is so, for us, is so weird because we measure time upon time. We base our, our understanding of how long something is based on our previous experience with time. But God bases his sense of time on what? On eternity. 
on eternity. So he, he's like, you know what? We've only been here. Just, we're just in the warm-up phase right here. So a day is, is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. He just doesn't see things the way we see things. So he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus said, yeah, I will come back. I'm going to prepare a place for you. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, that would be us. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How does that make you feel when you, when you read that? That he wishes everyone to come to repentance. Your brother, your co-worker, your mom, your, your, your kids, and you realize, wow, we're in the same thought process here. We're on the same mission as he is. We have a co-mission with him. And recognizing that Psalm 94, 90 verse 4 was really this verse that says, that for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. That was in the Old Testament. And you just realize that God's truth is always true. It's, it's never going to ever change. Uh, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he promise and not fulfill? Does he speak and not act? You realize that there's this perspective in which we are so different than God. He's not like a man. He doesn't see things like a man. He doesn't promise things. And then, oh, you know what? Hey, something come up. I can't make it. God will show up if he says he's going to show up. We just have a warped perception of when that might happen. And so we say, you know, in the past, you've had people say, I, I, there was a person in this church um, at one point in time who, who encouraged his parents to move to Missouri because the end of the world was going to come and they were going to sit on a hilltop. I'm not kidding you. It, I, I know him personally. actually came to the Lord, actually, and he, recognizing that, he, that he, was, he thought the day of the Lord was coming because someone said this or that. And only the Father knows that. Only the Father understands how time really, truly works for us. In this present church age, 2,000 years, nothing compared to God's perspective of eternity. Nothing compared to our perspective of eternity. Because how long will you be in eternity in the new earth with God? You, you don't know. You can't even fathom that because you've never experienced anything even close to that. Even the longest day doesn't give you any perspective on how long eternity will be. It will be something unfathomable. Paul says this in Romans 2, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God wants to lead everyone to repentance. I am so glad he didn't pull the plug in 1985, because I wouldn't have made her. 17 years of church didn't do it for me. Why? Because I had no personal relationship with Jesus. I knew who Jesus was. I knew that he was a prophet. I knew that he was even called the Son of God, but I did not know him. I, I didn't have a relationship with him. It's like it was something that we did. We went to church. And we kind of and we did church programs, and I went to catechism, went to different things. But I, I personally, maybe other people knew, but I did not know God until I was 19. All of a sudden. Someone shares their life with me, their life story of how they came to know Jesus, and all of a sudden the lights come on. I'm like, oh, that's, that's what this is all about. It's about knowing God in a personal way, and all of a sudden things started to change, and his words started to make sense to me, and things' perspective changed, and it was all because of the fact that God's patience allowed me enough time to come to a knowledge of him. Wow. Romans 9 what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, 
bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. With great patience, with so much patience that the scoffers are like, man, this ain't happening because it's too long. And then 1 Timothy 2, as Paul writes to Timothy, his son, who wants God who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What a promise that is, is that God wants all people to be saved. Not everyone's going to say yes. You can't drag a horse, what? You can drag the horse to the water, but you can't do what with him? Eh, you can't make him drink, but we sure should be trying to drag him. Because a year before I came to know the Lord, I would have said no to the conversation that led me to the Lord. So we need to keep trying. Just because we've had a conversation with someone or we've invited them, whatever, we need to keep trying because his patience is longer than our patience, for sure. Revelations 25, 21.5. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Boy, when God says something, it's going to happen. And when we get to look forward to no more death, no more mourning, no more weeping, no more pain, no more night. So when a lot of times you're like, man, I don't like the idea of this earth being burned up. Oh, this earth is on a death spiral ever since the garden. And so are you if you haven't looked in the mirror lately. You're, someone, came up to, someone came up to me, grabbed my tag at the hospital, and they're like, she, it's so funny. She goes, oh, you were just out of school, weren't you? I haven't updated my picture for a while. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I do look a lot different, don't I? And that is the truth of it, that things are spiraling down. Whether you believe it or not, it's happening. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He will wipe away tears from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And it's supposed to pass away as Jesus comes back and sets up a sequence of things that is going to be altering. Revelations 22, no longer will there be any curse. That's the curse that's causing us all to get older and for things to die. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Wow. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Therefore, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and forever. And as we recognize that we are those servants, wow, what a privilege to be there forever and to serve him in that way is just, it's unspeakable how, how privileged that we are. Are you ready? Is there oil in your lamp? Wow, the light. Isn't that cool? Maybe it's just me, but I think that just kind of like the, the, it's like heaven. It's like the sun, and we don't, we're not going to need any artificial light. It's like, wow, are you ready? Is your lamp ready? Is it lit? Are you preparing yourself for the fact that Jesus could come home before Pastor Try preaches next Sunday on Second Peter 3, the last part of it? We don't know. I think it was D.L. Moody that said he didn't know that from one Sunday to the next whether he was going to be there for the next sermon. But if we're not going to be for the next sermon, boy, keep your lamps trimmed. Keep them ready to go because we got to be ready. We're all scoffers to some degree. You might not think of yourself as a false teaching scoffer, and I hope you're not. But in some way, we don't think that tomorrow he can come back or I would live differently. By next week, do we really believe that Jesus could come back? How many phone calls would you make if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow at 6 p.m.? How many conversations with family would you have? How many, maybe 
just people who you haven't really kind of talked to about Jesus would you have? We're all kind of scoffers in a way because we don't really embrace the fact that, boy, our time on this earth is so short, so short. Are we prepared for the Lord's return? Are we listening to our, the right truth sources? Are we in the Word? Are we in small groups to hear from the Holy Spirit as other people are, are hearing from, the, from God as well? If we're not in the right place to hear the right things, we're, gonna, we're not going to get that. We're going to get some false information, uh, false teachers, scoffers, etc. Do you believe His return can happen at any time? Are you a scoffer? And are you looking forward to it? Are you cleaning the house? Do you have fear? Because the return, of, the return of the Lord can cause fear because he is going to come back as a warrior for sure. He's going to come back and he's going to judge. Pastor Trial talk more about that and that should purify our lives because we realize that, man, we are, we are set, a, set apart people and Jesus is the judge, but he's also our savior as well. And he loves us dearly. And do you know the Lord personally? Boy, and if you don't know him personally, I'm just telling you, I don't care if you're sitting at home right now in your recliner chair or in your bed, you got, the, you got coffee, you got the whole thing going on. If you don't, need, don't, if you don't know the Lord personally, you need to have a conversation with you. You just need to pray right where you're at, sitting, kneeling, laying, I don't care where you're at. I admit that I'm a sinner, and I have done things that, I, that, that are completely against you. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he did die on the cross, and that he's coming back. And I choose to follow him, and, and I know that I'm going to fail, but I'm going to choose to be in his word and with his people to follow him in a way that will cause me to grow in that relationship, just like any other relationship that you want to spend time with him. And if that's the desire of your heart, you just need to say that to the Lord in any language, in any words that you can, because it is so important for us to recognize that God wants a relationship with us. Well, the man from Mount St. Helens didn't make it. He didn't make it. And so as I was remembering back to that time, many of, the, many of the people who were on that mountain, their family members and rescuers were actually pleading with them, just get out of here, get out of here. And some, most did, but some did not like this man. And you just recognize that that is our, that is our mission. We are rescuers. We are to tell the people who we know in this world who don't know Jesus that that God loves them and has a has actually wants to have them in his in his family. And so we are in some ways like the person who sits on the, the side of Mount St. Helens saying, please just just come out of there. And that's the mission that God has given us because He didn't just save us for us to sit. He saved us to be His light, His lamp, and His salt as we go out into a world that doesn't know Him and doesn't know that the Lord is good. So as we go about our week this week, that we would show people that, that not only is he good, but also that we would share the truth of how he changed our lives because that message they cannot argue with. When you tell someone, this is how Jesus changed my life, they cannot argue with you. And it has a huge impact on their lives as well as strengthening your faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Second Peter that you would give us this encouragement to be the people that you want us to be, that we would, we would see things from the perspective of eternity, that we wouldn't see that you're coming back a thousand years from now or a hundred years from now, that it could be this afternoon, it could be before we get out of this church, that that would have a purifying effect on our lives, that we would see things that way, that we would recognize that the conversations that, that we are to have as the Holy Spirit directs us 
that we would have those, those conversations with the people who you have put in our lives, our oikos, our, our family, our friends, the people who, who you have given us to, to share our story with them. Help us to do that in a way that is winsome and loving, but also truthful, that we would have truth on our lips, constantly being willing to share how much you've changed our lives. And we just pray this in your son's name. Amen.